want to say thank you to all of you for joining. And in particular, I want to say a super thank you to Peter um, for his patience this morning. Peter Anstey is the talent leader for Entrepreneur First um, and has firsthand experience of being an entrepreneur because first, he is an entrepreneur. See what I did there? Um, welcome, Peter, and good morning and apologies for the delay. How are you? Um, I'm great this morning. Thanks, Marissa. It's totally fine. We've been living in this difficult remote world, so I'm sure we've got more difficult things. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if it weren't for a couple of technolo technological glitches, you know, if that's the worst thing that happens today, I think we're all going to be fine. Um, so tell me a bit about yourself, Peter. You're leading uh, the talent team there at Entrepreneur First. What exactly do you do and what exactly does Entrepreneur First do? Um, so yeah, a little bit about me. I've, I've got seven, eight years in effectively recruiting or in the talent space. Um, I, after about five years of my career recruiting across uh, banking capital markets and some early sales and technology roles, um, I tried to exit recruitment as most people do and ended up being still cloistered in and, and not quite escaping. And it led me to working with a company that was working with lots of big scale technology companies, startup firms, all within uh, the uh, web development or within DevOps, that kind of space. And it exposed me to this massive problem within technology that was really about uh, the lack of talent that was available within that field. So that prompted us to build a business um, and we built a software development bootcamp uh, that trained aspiring software developers to break into the tech industry with practical skills, which I believe is a very underutilized market. Still, the education space around tech is very, very poor. So we were able to really quickly start scaling up, uh, building a company that could help people do this, but also help businesses hire, um, which I built for a few years and made every possible mistake you could ever possibly make in building a business. Um, and uh, after a few years of running that company, I then left in January to join Entrepreneur First, uh, which is a business that effectively is set up with the mission to enable the world's most ambitious people uh, to build the world's most important companies. Uh, it was set up by Matt and Alice in, in 2011. Uh, and the theory then was that there were too many uh, highly ambitious, highly skilled individuals who were leaving top tier institutions or had all of this uh, aspiration to do something really big with their lives. And they were going into banks and law firms and uh, insurance, whatever it may be, and maybe not recognizing their true opportunity to really create something themselves and take their own ideas and, and go and deploy them. So that's what Entrepreneur First is, is a place where these people can come, meet other people who are much like themselves, who are outliers, who are equally ambitious. And hopefully over a, a period of six to nine months as they come through our program, they can go from having really nothing but talent, really nothing but themselves, and actually leave with a business that they are building a seed around for, um, and hopefully in a problem area that is a massive opportunity both for them uh, and obviously for the investors who work with them. Sounds absolutely fascinating and I know you guys have been really successful as well because you've already built uh, a portfolio worth two billion dollars and have got more than 2,000 people involved in the organization so um, I think it's a uh, an important mission that you guys have as well. And, and isn't it funny the way that we always say the word bank with the same rancor whenever we say, and if you end up in a bank, like, you know, you end up in a gulag or something like that. It's, the, it's kind of the same. Um, and tell me a, a little bit about, you know, how you go about finding the people to, to join you there at, e, at, at EF, which is, I, I assume, a big part of what you do. Yeah, it is a big part of what I do. Um, we, we're focused on 
you know, the, the success of the program is really built around the talent that you have available to you. So our job is to go and find the few hundred people maybe across Europe or across the world um, who are about to build something massive but haven't yet. So that is a very niche marketplace. Uh, we tend to build within deep tech um, but have built across lots of different areas in both consumer, both in business uh, and, and different uh, types of products and services as well. Um, but that's the main focus for us. So finding those people is a lot of, well, it's a lot of marketing. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of being connected to the right places. Now that we are nine years into our journey, as you said, from, from 2011, we have a really strong referral network. So people always are putting people towards EF to uh, try and help them or put them into to our bundle of candidates, I suppose. So we benefit a lot from that. But in the beginning, it was a lot of really just grafting of getting the message out there about what we did <laughs> and selling a really clear picture to the people that wanted to do something different with their skill set, with their lives. And it tended to be people in the early phases of their careers, so between the ages of uh, 20 to 30, something like that. Um, so there was a lot of people who were a little bit disenfranchised with the business or the industries which they were being pitched. You know, like they didn't enjoy the careers there. They didn't enjoy the job they had. Um, so going in and saying, hey, let's blow that system up and do something completely different with your time. You know, when, you, when you're talking to the right person, it's a pretty simple message and a pretty simple sell. And how do you go about identifying that skill set, the sort of selection process? Is it based on performance, but potential or, yeah, it sounds like a, a, a wicked science that you're involved in. It, it is all based on potential. So. As I said, the, the theory for us, the, the kind of model of EF is built around funding somebody before everybody else does. <laughs> you know, so trying to find somebody who is exceptionally skilled and talented but hasn't realized that talent in a, in a practical sense just yet, but has all the hallmarks of a fantastic founder or a, a somebody who is going to go and create something really unique or really special. So how we assess that talent is by breaking down a, a kind of core criteria of things that we're interested to find, all of the Things you may hear which are obvious buzzwords like their drive their mentality their aspirations for success but also what insights they have into their industry do they have a, a kind of propensity to action through their life are they trying to change the system around them to benefit them and therefore when they hit upon an idea are they going to continue doing those things you know your the big word that we use is outliers so we are trying to find people who are not like everybody else in almost every way, you know, that they're, they're, they're outlier in drive, they're outlier in technical insight, they're an outlier in their commerciality, they can sell and pitch ideas like nobody else can, you know, like all of these big words, but when you break that down, it's, it's about looking at everything they've done in their life to wherever you're talking to them at that point, and that could be they've just finished university, or they've just finished a PhD, or they might be 10 years into their career building something really, or have already built something really significant, they might be aspiring to do that again, so you can always look at their mindset and what makes them unique what makes them special and then we are effectively the the engine that can then turn all of that potential into someone hopefully doing something for themselves um so I, you know i can go very specific and break down how the criteria works but it's more about ensuring that you have got someone in front of you who is practically minded and and holds this special unique set of skills and and you're effectively seeking a skill stack so you're trying to find three, four different things that that person has, which very few people 
would even think about or would even be focused on. And that's when you've got someone who could build something really unique. It sounds like the the right way to do the apprentice, like the kind of skill set uh, <laughs> you're looking for. It sounds like the sophisticated, actually will work version of that. <laughs> but well, I think one of our co-founders, Matt, did did have a few sparring words with, on Twitter with Alan Sugar once. So yeah, oh, I think good. It was, uh, Oh, well, there you go. as long as it was Alan Sugar and not the other former host of The Apprentice, but we won't get into that because no. I get, get very upset about it. Um, listen, and for founders, you know, founders, talent leaders, entrepreneurs who are out there building their organisations, building their leadership teams, is there a particular nugget of truth, a particular kind of phrase or, or learning that you've had that you think is really important for everybody to be aware of? Um, what, when I was building my company I think the things I really saw in the first hires we made you know I talked about that that idea before of a, a propensity to action you know somebody who is always acting themselves to make things happen I think your your aspiration in building a company or your aspiration in hiring great people for your team should be that they can do things obviously that you can't but it's very generic so when you're interviewing them and you're assessing their skill set they will always do every point in their life whether it's through study or through work, change the system that's around them because they're not happy with the way that it's working. They feel it can be more effective. And of course, they would have been successful equally as well. So they would have changed it for the better. And I think when you're building a, a leadership team or you're putting people around you who can do all the things that you can't, which is one of the first things you, you learn as a founder is that you can do very, very little. And so you need lots of great people who can do all the things that you can't. If they have this mindset, this propensity to action, and you give Place to be able to go and do those things it will allow your entire company to be a lot you know you need people who turn around and want to change your business you need people who turn around and say your business is not working for these reasons here's how i can affect it and here's how i can change it and then they go and do it <laughs> you know I, I always say in your leadership team you don't want people who wait for permission you don't want people who are like timidly asking you can i do this is that okay like you want people who start changing stuff and then they say hey i'm making these changes and so I think when you're interviewing or you're assessing a, a somebody like that, that those are the, the the running through line is that you're always looking for in their life. Is that they've always done this, they've always tried to change things, they're always trying to improve things. It's a very entrepreneurial mindset which you definitely want in your in your leadership team. Um, and you want people who are not afraid to do that as well. And and again, that will come clear in the interview when you're talking about their life and their skill set. They will always be sharing this mindset of improvement. And conversely, so the, the, the thing that's most important is to have that propensity to action, somebody who's not afraid to, to have a go and maybe even mess it up and, and that, you know, is, is definitely trying to make things better. Conversely, what's the one piece of kind of BS advice or the great myth about building a leadership team that potentially you've, you know, seen in action or try to discourage people from doing? Um. Probably the culture thing. That's, that's a lot of BS in culture. Hang on, this is going to be controversial, everybody. Pay attention. <laughs> no, it's not that culture isn't important. Culture is very, very important. But, um, you know, people get lost in, in, in the word culture. And it's important to set the values of the business really early on and, and scale it through great people who want to be there. Those things are so obvious. And this is why I hate when people talk about culture. Because it's like, what we want to build is great culture. It's like, well, obviously like you know <laughs> what do you mean like that, that that means nothing and i think 
most of the BS comes from what people say about themselves. It just isn't true. You know, people say we're this, we're these things, we are innovative and we're creators and we're ideators and we're, you know, they just reel off all these words that kind of mean very, very little. It's very, very rare you join a business that genuinely has a culture that is different to other companies and, and a unique culture. Um, and I think that would probably be one of the early things to get right in your company is deciding what you are both positively and negatively and make sure you hire people into those uh, positive areas of what your business is. So if you're scrappy and things don't get right and things break a lot, which is very familiar with any, any startup founder, then hire people who are like that and they're not perfect in some of the other ways that you might aspire for in a culture, but it's okay. You're building your first 10 people, you know, your first 15 people. These people carry your business and if anything, they will create your culture. So setting it out and writing it down as a list and saying, these are all the things that we are and we're going to be these things forever. And it's like, then you hire 15 people and suddenly your culture changes because those people define your culture for your business. It's not a BS thing because the culture is important, but it's BS because people say it and it means nothing. It, it, it is never followed through. There is no action behind it. And I think culture has become almost a euphemism for um singularity in some cases like you know we want people to be like this which is exactly like me and therefore everybody's going to be the same and you know we can then go into a big debate about diversity and all of all, all of the problems that it can cause um but you and, the, you, and the best the best founders are broken as well so you know you, you want founders who are a little bit broken they're a little bit you know they're they should be odd <laughs> you know they should have they i always describe them, the ef founders that we take on board they're like they're just they're really smart, but also really stupid because they say things that most people laugh at. You know, they say things, they have an idea and most people are like, that'll never work. It's not an idea, that's stupid. And they can still do it. And they're smart enough to know why it's a mistake, but they're equally stupid enough to follow it. They're like, okay, I'm going to go for it. I know, I know most of these people fail. I know people have tried and failed before me. So, you know, I don't know if you want to build the, the culture entirely around a founder's mindset because it'll probably be more um, unique. <laughs> I worked for a fruit company that makes phones and, um, you know, if you think about the the kind of personality of, of that particular founder, he was one of those people who was smart enough to know not to hire people like himself because, firstly, he didn't want any competition for being the biggest a-hole in the room, but secondly, he knew that that was not what he was there to to have the ideas he was there to you know create he wasn't there to be the culture guy um and i think like you say like being smart enough to know where you stop and where the culture and the company and everybody else begin i think is is a really really important um criteria for for a brilliant founder who can make a, a lasting and successful company as well um, speaking of lasting and successful companies, we've heard a lot from founders over the past few months where we've been, while we've been doing this series about what we call the shiny penny mentality, or we have to have people who come from Google or we have to have people who come from Facebook or, you know, we need people who've worked at Palantir is the latest one that everybody's asking for. Um, and I think, you know, hiring for somebody's CV or somebody's experience rather than what they're capable of doing um, ha has become endemic in textile startups um, across Europe and, and no doubt the world. Do you have any methods or any approaches that you use for hiring for potential and, and specifically high potential people rather than just where they worked before? Uh, well, I think in particular if you're a startup, hiring, hiring people out of big name, big brand companies is actually very difficult 
Number one, because big companies pay them a hell of a lot of money. So, you know, you, you suddenly don't have to compete with something you really shouldn't be. But the thing I worry about, I made a post on LinkedIn like two months ago about hiring salespeople in particular from uh, big brand companies. And I think I use Google as the example. They, this is a very broad brush, but they effectively aren't learning the same skills you would have in a startup. You know, in a startup, you want, if you're a Facebook, you're an, let's say you're an engineer, you're hiring technical talent for your business, and you're, you've got a Facebook engineer sat in front of you. If a Facebook engineer wants to test an idea, they have 100,000 users they can immediately go grab and test their idea with. So they can really quickly take feedback and, and go and iterate their product and create a new feature, whatever, whatever they're doing. When you're a startup, you have 10 users, and someone's used to working with a subset of a million or 100,000 or however many users that they have. It's very difficult to transfer that expertise and, and experience in. You know, if anything, I want the person who's worked with 10 users and scaled it to 100 users and been like, oh, that's cool. It's a starting point. Like you, you've grown your user count per day. You've clearly shown that you can uh, understand your customer, that you can build a product that's based on them. It, you know, it's not just the shiny penny mentality of being in a big business. Like, are they actually skilled for the job that you're requiring them to do? Because if they haven't been through that experience, all of their expertise is based around massive user sets and massive data sets which is not valuable in building a company from day one. Now, when you're two years in and you have your 10,000 users a day of your app or your product, then great. That, that's a great person to hire and you should go after them and you should go win them because they will come in and they'll bring loads of expertise with them. But in the early days, in leadership teams, in the first 10 hires, I would want people who've worked in tough jobs tough companies where it was difficult to get users or it's difficult to make a sale or it's hard because Again, it's a broad brush. I'm sure people at Facebook are also great engineers at building scale-up products. But largely speaking, they're just not learning the skills that are comparative. And we've seen that in our founders, on, even on this program, is it can be difficult to transfer out of big companies and then go build a business. Because you just, you're so unfamiliar with the concept of nobody knowing who you are, wanting to know who you are, or caring about your product. And so it's a very difficult, very different skill set. I um I, I couldn't agree with you more, and 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 you, you talked about the user base that they are able to test with. There's also the fact that there is a gigantic support structure around those technical teams or those sales teams. So, whereas if you're in a startup, you might have to do everything A to Z on your own and kind of figure out how to do it. In those organisations, you might be responsible for parts G, H, and I, and there's somebody else doing A to F and somebody else doing, you know, K and onwards. So I think it's, um, you know, it's it's kind of a false um, impression that people who work in particular companies, and I'm not I'm not just you know having a go at Google or anything, but in particular organisations, are like the the jacks of all trades who know how to do everything. Um, you know, it might be that they were hired for a very very specific role that you're not even ready to have that person yet. You know, that might be person 2000 that you're going to hire in your startup. Um, so, yeah, it's a shiny penny mentality, one for everybody to remember. Um, I read an article and, uh, sorry, saw an article recently published by um, Entrepreneur First talking about diversity and inclusion. A key part of what you guys were saying was that it's the responsibility, it's your responsibility to build a diverse cohort of founders. And I'd be really curious to know how you actually make that happen. Because we know that the founders of the world <laughs> predominantly have <laughs> X and Y chromosomes. Um, and I'd just be really interested to know how you guys are building that diverse 
cohort um, in order to build a diverse organization for the future? Uh, well, I, I would say with great difficulty do we build diverse cohorts, and we are not there by any stretch of the imagination. There is a long way to go and a lot more work to do. I think one of the first things, if you're building a diverse business or you're t attempting to hire in diverse pools, one of the questions that is never asked, or one of the questions, that, sorry, one of the statements that always begins is we need more of X. Let's, uh, I worked a lot with uh, women in tech and engineers in particular. A lot of my business previously as a training software developers. We were able to support lots of women into the technology industry. That was the aim for us. One of the questions that is never asked is why would X type of person or X people join my business? What is our business doing to be the most attractive option to those people? And it would be exactly the same with the X. If, if we're trying to uh, attract different types of talent, better talent, more diverse talent, are we a place where that type of talent can succeed? Is the first question. <laughs> because if we are a place where that type of talent succeeds, they will come. You don't have to fight and go find them. They will come to you. They're like, brilliant. Here's this place where I can succeed, where I'm respected, where I can work, where I can advance. Like, it's, it's the same question you should be asking yourself if, you're, if you've got a major, um, if you're hiring a super senior developer and you're like, how do we make sure we're the most attractive opposition, proposition for that person? And it's, it's exactly the same with, with diverse hires. So there's a lot said about this. There's a lot of... of lip work that goes on around this industry that's like people talking what they want to do or who they are and posting PR and publications with very little action. There are some very deep problems that sit within the system that we have, which make it very difficult or to, to advance in this space. Um, and I think what is more important than just saying we're going to do more or posting the PR articles is what is how attractive is the organization or the opportunity to insert x type of person you want to attract and why you're attracting them like it is well proven that diverse teams build very strong uh, uh companies it is well proven that diverse cultures build a uh, very strong retention and, and better performance it's, it should be a, a front of, of house problem for businesses but it's equally very difficult if you're hiring within the tech sector as an example if you're hiring uh developers in tech you're immediately working with an 85% male talent pool. So in that world, actually no one can win because the pool is against you. So you're immediately going into a 15% pool of say, for example, male, female talent. And so actually the question should be, how do you flood the industry with more people at the start? <laughs> you know, because you can never get it up to the top. I remember you said that's what a lot of companies are trying to do by sponsoring, you know, high school programs and even primary school programs to try and encourage diverse populations. Yeah, exactly. And that's where you'll affect it properly because anyone who's recruited in this space for any period of time knows just how difficult it is to attract the talent. And if you attract a senior person to join your business, you haven't added to, to the pool. You've just moved the pool to you as opposed to someone else, which is totally fine. You know, it's less to be celebrated. They're already in the pool. <laughs> you haven't yeah, grown it. The problem for the for even the short term, really, because um, those talent pools are increasingly in demand. Um, I like the idea. We we spoke to some people from White Hat um, a couple of weeks ago, um, where they're working with apprenticeships and trying to encourage companies to take on apprentices. And I think that's another way that you can actually, like you say, add to the pool by bringing in people and actually training them and teaching them to do what you want them to do um, rather than just stealing somewhere else. It's such a great business model. It's insanely cheap. I would, I put junior members in my team all the time. They're fantastic. They work so hard. They're so ambitious. They're, they don't know what they don't know. So they're really moldable. 
every company should have some model to, to help people into the industry. And I mean, what we're going to see over the coming months as well, particularly here in the UK, as we know, is the market is going to be flooded with graduates who can't get jobs. So anything that any founder, you know, small company, startup, whatever it might be, can do to even hire one of those people, you'll have someone, like you say, who is just so incredibly grateful and, and wants to learn and, you know, will add and stay and be loyal. And, and you know, I, I think it's a really sure. wonderful to do. If you're looking for underpriced talent, there is no better market to look in. That developer that you're hiring who's 12 months through their career and is suddenly wanting 45K, they wanted 22 12 months earlier. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, there is no better market for underpriced talent than a junior market. You just have to know how to take them through the first six months of their role. Yeah. Um, Peter, uh, one quick closing question. Anything that you're watching, listening to, reading at the moment that's kind of you know, inspiring you and keeping you going through these unprecedented times? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I'm inspired by anything. That's quite a big word. Um, what have I read recently? Um, I, I've read uh, there's a fantastic book, um, which is uh, from an NFL coach uh, called The Score Takes Care of Itself, uh, which is a leadership book. I think his name is Bill. Second name, um, but that I've literally just finished, which is why I can't remember his second name. Um, but it's called The Score Takes Care of Itself. It's about a coach who went to the San Francisco 49ers in the 90s and turned them from the lead, from the worst team in the league and the punching bag of all the other teams into a five uh, five time Super Bowl winning team. And it's all about fundamentals and getting the basics right in order to the score to take care of itself for the game to take care of itself. Putting all the all the pieces into play. Fantastic book. Really enjoyed it. I believe a key to their success has been hiring Australian rugby league players to play because there's three of them now in the Giants, okay. maybe back in the 90s. But, um, we certainly being part of their success. And finally, what is one thought or phrase or saying that you live by that you use in your work life? Um, okay, I, I don't know. Another good cool question. Um, <laughs> What is the thought of phrase? I, I think mostly the things I look for in, in hiring and, that, and I suppose the things I look for in myself is, is mainly just work ethic. I think if you're willing to work hard, uh, the rest comes easy. You know, as long as you're working hard on what you're doing and, and you embrace the, the work in itself, you know, it, it suddenly you become lucky. You know, like I, I, luck is a big element in building a business or being successful. So there are certain people who are more lucky than others. And I think you, you put yourself in a position to be lucky and that comes through a lot of hard work so yes there will be luck but if you're not working hard you'll you won't even be on the pitch I think yeah and when you look at even successful people in all different fields in the world today like um you may not like her music but when you think about Lady Gaga um and how successful she became and you know she talks about she was not an overnight success and Adele says the same you know I was gigging for 10 years around London before I became an overnight success and I think you know people who work really hard um generally speaking one hopes do reap the rewards of it afterwards um, Peter, I've loved this chat this morning, <laughs> even though we got off to a bit of an icky start um, with the tech. I think it's been absolutely wonderful to hear your perspective and um, and in particular to hear about how you're sort of influencing the future, really, um, with the work that you're doing with Entrepreneurs First. So thank you very much for coming along this morning. Mm -hmm.